When Jesus speaks Mary's name to her, everything changes. When Jesus says her name, everything changes. Immediately, as Jesus speaks the name of Mary, she is brought into the comfort that she has known while Jesus was alive, before he was crucified and resurrected. Everyone say comfort. Comfort. The first thing that changes is Mary is brought back into the comfort that she had known. You know that we actually don't know that much about Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is just a place name. She's from Magdala. But of the several Marys mentioned in the Gospels, you know, we have Mary, the mother of Jesus. We also have uh, Mary, who is the sister of Martha, whose brother was Lazarus, who had just been raised from the dead. In John's account of the Gospel, um, Jesus had raised John from the dead, excuse me, Lazarus from the dead. But this Mary Magdalene, the only thing we know about her, what some other Gospels testify to, is that she had seven demons cast out of her. She was a tormented person. What about you? What torments you? What has tormented you this morning, these days, these years? Are there anxieties or fears that cripple you? You know, I was just counseling with a student this week. And um, the student was just processing where he wanted to do his student teaching. But one of his big criteria was, I just, and without getting to the whole story, I can't go to a place where I'm going to fail. If I fail, then it's all over. He was just crippled by the fear of failure. And so I said, let's take a look at this. What does it look like to fail well? In other words, in student teaching, you may make a mistake or two. How do you make a mistake well? Can we reframe this a little bit? That's what Jesus had done with Mary, but on an extreme scale. Totally reframed her life, delivering her from the seven demons that tormented her. What torments you? What fears or anxieties grip you? And I'm assuming that Mary had some sins and some regrets too. Many of us have Things in our past of which we have great, for which we have great shame. I know I sure do. We all have shame. We have things to regret, things we're sorry about, and those can torture us. I was just reading um, the book that are right down the road, a little school called Gordon College. The president, Dr. Lindsay's written a book called Faith in the Halls of Power, and he talks about a conversation that Richard Nixon had with um, another public official who had also been kind of disgraced. And basically Nixon said to him, look, unless you, unless you kind of move on, unless you figure out how it is that you can serve other people again, you're going to get stuck in the depression kind of suicide spiral. Nixon had figured out a way. And I would assume because of his faith in God, he'd found a way to be delivered from his own deep regret over his own crimes that he had committed while he was president. What about you? How are you tormented? Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your story. It means like he knew Mary, he knew her whole past. He knew where she had been and he knew where he was taking her. 
Because Jesus knows your name, he can comfort you. He can give you the comfort that you need. He knows you. He loves you. And he can comfort you. The second thing that changes when when Jesus says Mary's name, I want to look at her response because there's another thing that goes on here. It's really remarkable. I'll just back up from 15. This is verse 15 of John 20. Woman, he said, remember, she thinks that he's the gardener. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, and listen to her affection, listen to Mary's passion, listen to her devotion to her king and her Lord. She says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, the comfort comes out. Look what else comes out. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Oh, but that's not even a good enough explanation of the word Rabbani. It means my teacher. You hear in the word there, Rabbi, which just means great, like a great one, a teacher. But when she says Rabbani, she's saying my teacher. She's saying, once again, I want you to teach me. I want to be instructed by you. I want to be in Jesus' school of discipleship. In short, I want you to be my coach. Can you say coach? coach? Coach. When Jesus says her name, she says yes again to Jesus being her life coach. You know, life coaching is a very big business right now. I have a little theory. It's not really, it's kind of tangential to this conversation this morning, but I mean, I just think we're so fatherless as a people that this whole life coaching business has just taken off, right? We will, we will pay people great amounts of money to help coach us. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's not a value judgment I'm saying. But, um, you know, I just, I was online the other day and I thought, gosh, I found this um, through actually a magazine. I found this uh, website called unbeatablemind.com, unbeatablemind.com. This guy's an ex-Navy SEAL. He just gives great advice on how to think and how to be fit. And I thought, well, great. I can pay him $67 a month. I'll get a new video every month and a little update and it'll be great. I want to be life coached in a lot of ways. But you know what the Bible says? And the Bible says that really the best life coach we could ever have is Jesus. He is the best life coach we could ever have. Mary figured it out. She said, Rabbani, will you say Rabbani today? Will you say, Jesus, be my coach again? I'm talking to many of you who have been believers for years and years, and you're still stiff-arming Jesus, saying, I can still figure this thing out on my own. And listen, I'm telling you, in these pages, the story of God's love relationship with humankind, there's great wisdom on how to deal with your finances. There's great wisdom on how to deal with your relationships. You know, how do I love my spouse better? How do I deal with my loneliness? How do I love my kids? How do I relate at work? How do I choose a career? All these things. God has wisdom for you in here. And Jesus is just looking for those who, like Mary, will say, Rabbi, my teacher, my coach. Will you do it today? Will you do it again today? Will you let Jesus be your life coach? Will you say, Rabbi? When Jesus comes on the scene, he says your name. It's what he wants to do today. Just like he said almost 2,000 years ago, he said Mary's name. And she said, yes, coach. He's doing the same thing today. I believe not just in this congregation, but all over the city. Jesus is saying, I know you. I love you. 
Come, let me coach you once again. Let me teach you once again. Everyone say coach. All right, so Mary, he says her name. Comfort is imparted. She says yes to him being a coach. And the last thing is, watch this. Picking up now at verse 17. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. Stop clinging to me, right? Mary's so in love with this guy. Maybe he's at his feet, clinging on to him, holding on to his garments. And says, don't hold on to me, Mary, because I haven't yet returned to the Father. But listen to this. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Ooh, this is powerful. There's a lot in here that we want to take a look at. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, Mary, because I've not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The other thing that happens when Jesus says Mary's name, and by implication, the other thing that happens when Jesus says your name, which he's wanting to do today, if you'll listen, he wants to give you an amazing calling. Everyone say calling. The first thing that's so remarkable, there's really two things that are remarkable about this. And the first is that Jesus is even including Mary Magdalene in this calling anyways. Who did Jesus hang out with the most when he was on earth? His top three were Peter, James, and John. Those are his buddies. And um, isn't it interesting that the first person that Jesus appears to is Mary? And it's not even Mary, his mother. It's not even Mary, the sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, who've been great things going on here. But it's this Mary that all we know about is that seven demons were cast out of her and that she just shows up a lot at the crucifixion, the burial, and here at the resurrection. And my point is this. I don't know what you think about your past. I don't know what you think about your life. I don't know what you think about how significant or insignificant, how gifted, ungifted you are. But I think by virtue of the fact that Jesus is saying, Mary, you go do this thing. You get the honor of seeing me first and sharing with my friends what's going on. Jesus has a message for us this morning. And that is no matter how checkered your past or how incapable you think you are, God wants to use you. He wants to give you a calling. He wants to give you something that's going to satisfy your heart. He wants to encourage you something wonderful to do in his kingdom. He wants to give you a calling. I was just with another brother this week who just kind of reflecting on his life saying, Hey, because of my sinful past, I just feel like I'm very behind. And I just said to him, man, hey, let's just recall, you know, two weeks ago we celebrated St. Patrick. You know, St. Patrick was behind too. I don't know if you caught that part of the story. But St. Patrick, sold as a slave from Scotland to Ireland. He escapes Ireland, but he's lost about six years of his youth. And he does what any man passionate for God would do in, in Scotland, England in those days. And he signs up for the priesthood. But as he signs up for the priesthood, he's just aware of the fact that he's not as gifted as these guys around him. He is uh, he's linguistically behind. He's not as... Um, you know, he's just, everyone else looks good and talks good, and he doesn't, and he's aware of it. But of course, as history tells us, St. Patrick ends up having the most amazing calling of people of God in history, you know? Seeing a whole country transformed by the gospel. God uses weak people. He uses people with checkered pasts. He uses whomever. And so I'm just telling you this morning, as Jesus calls your name, he's saying, 
I got a calling for you. I got something I want you to do. I don't care about your past. I love you. Let's do this again. The second thing that we don't want to miss or a second remarkable thing is this. Listen to Jesus' heart. I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It seems that the core of any calling is going to be intimacy with God. Let's not miss the progression that Jesus has brought his disciples through. A few years ago from this, oh, about three years before this, he said, come and be my disciple. Come and be my follower, right? A standard practice of that day for a rabbi to invite someone to learn of him, a teacher. So, amen, they get to be followers of Jesus. But, you know, just a few days before this, what we celebrated, some of you may have celebrated Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. Maundy just means command because that's when Jesus gathered at the Last Supper, gave this command, love one another. But it's, at, it's in that conversation with his disciples that he said, um, he said, I don't call you, you're not just slaves, you're not just servants, but I call you friends. I'm calling you friends. That's pretty intense. And now he ratchets it up one more thing. By saying, my father and your father, my God and your God. I'm calling you brother now. There's nothing closer. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. Walk with me. Let's not forget at the foundation of the calling that God gives you, the, the bedrock of that foundation is intimacy with God. And of course, this intimacy now made possible by the resurrected Jesus. This is the gospel, people. You and I are separated from God because of our sinfulness. He's a holy God. But Jesus, dying on a cross for your and my sins, then raising from the dead, proving the power of God and the, the uh, heart of God, that now we can relate to God. We can be included. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus, friends of God because of his resurrection. This is the good news. You know, a little bit, is there an amen there? I mean, that's pretty good news. <laughs> Come on, you guys. It's, I know we're trying to be mellow this morning. But that's a little too quiet. We'll get there, don't worry. At the end of this very chapter where we're preaching from, listen to this. This is John writes why he's writing, why he's written all this down. One of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life. He says this. He says, these things are written. As I'm telling you this story about Mary. I'm telling you this whole story about Jesus. Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm telling you, there's nowhere else to have life than in Jesus. Okay? I'm telling you, there's no other comfort than the comfort that Jesus can give you. He can deliver you from your, your stuff. There's no other coach than Jesus. He's the best life coach there is. And there's no one else who can impart a calling to you whose foundation is intimacy with God other than Jesus. He wants to do that again today to all of you by saying your name. I pray that you hear him say your name today. This is what we want to do as we transition just into a time of responding and worshiping to God. You know, the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, it talks about the fact that those who overcome are going to be given a white stone. And on that white stone, this is Revelation 2.17, it says, On that white stone, a name will be given, and that name will only be known to the one who receives it. It's kind of a special thing. It's like Jesus is going to kind of impart to you, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, he wants to impart to you kind of your full identity. This is who I've made you to be, you know? And it's going to be a name that, that only you and him kind of share. So what I'm going to invite us to do here in a minute is to come up. We have some stones and some Sharpies.
and some glass jars here. And I want you to come up. And if you're saying yes to Jesus, will you comfort me again today? If you're saying yes to Jesus, will you please coach me again in life? And if you're saying yes again to Jesus, will you please uh, impart to me a sense of calling? Show, it is, show me what it is I've been made to do. I want you to just come up here, take a Sharpie, write your name on this, one of these stones and drop it in the jar here. Then you just come and do that as we worship. Hey, listen, if you're visiting with us today, I don't want you to be weirded out. You know, I, I went to a Monday Thursday service a, a year or so ago, and I remember it was kind of a small group, and it was like, let's watch each, wash each other's feet. And I was like, there's no way I'm letting these guys see my feet. I don't know them. <laughs> my point is this, that I know what it's like to be sitting in a crowd and then being like, ah, oh, this is kind of an awkward response. I don't really feel like doing it. And so, hey, we're free here. If you're, if you're visiting, you just feel free to respond in any way you want. But for those of you who you feel the tug of God saying, you know, Jesus is calling your name. You want him to comfort you, coach you, and call you once again. As we stand up and worship, please come up. Write your name on a stone. Drop it in the glass jar as a way of just saying, yes, Lord, I'm yours. Amen? All right, let's stand up. As we move towards the conclusion of our service, we're going to be worshiping together. Writing our names on stones, dropping them in the, the glass jars.